All right. Let me go. Be right back in a second. Let me refill my coffee, and we'll start on Adam. All right. Um, I listened to the end just before I got on. We we got cut off on the page when he's in trial, and uh, where he smiles on the bottom panel on the on the bottom row pages panels. That's the last page we finished. We were going to the next page after that. Okay, I'll bring it up. All right, right back. Strange Tales 180, Chapter 2, The Trial of Adam Warlock. In case you guys forgot from last episode, the credits for this chapter are the same as Chapter 1. Story, Sam Jiltron. Art, Jim Starlin. Inked by J.L. Minirats and Alan Lee Weiss. Colored by Ms. Nadrell. Letter by Tom Orszewski. Edited by Len Wein. Cover art by Jim Starlin. And, of course, Sam Jiltron, J.L. Minirats, and Ms. Nadrell are all anagrams of the name Jim Starlin. Because he was just getting bored, I guess, and having fun with his name. So the only question is, how many other names can yours be made into but with anagrams? Let me know. And maybe I'll find out next time, too. Alright. So this issue had an original cover date of June 1975, and an on-sale date of March 25th, 1975. With a cover price of 25 cents. And, of course, it was reprinted, just like last time. Because it's the same issue. <laughs> In Fantasy Masterpieces number 10 from September 1980, Warlock Special Edition number 1 and 2, cover dated December 82 and January 83, respectively. This was a miniseries that just reprinted Jim Starlin's run on Warlock. Warlock 1 and 2 from May and June 1992, which is basically just a reissuing of the Warlock Special Edition miniseries, but with a new cover. Playbook number 31 from 1993, that is an Italian reprint. Marvel Masterworks Warlock Hardcover, Volume 2, from 2007. Essential Warlock Trade Paperback, Volume 1, from 2012. Warlock by Jim Starlin Trade Paperback, from 2014. The German reprint, here we go again. Die Fischl Marvel Comics Samalung Hardcover, Volume 32, from 2016. And also from 2016, the Gamora Guardian of the Galaxy Trade Paperback. Adam finds himself on trial with Krator who is a giant alien head with four arms and legs sticking out of it, as the judge. The bailiffs and jurors appear to be robots, and the prosecutor is a giant mouth with eyes. His defense lawyer is just a giant eyeball. Adam tries to play along and pleads that since he is a younger version of the Magus, who through the court is given all its power, it should be impossible for the court to try him and the case should be thrown out. He demands to be tried by the Magus himself. Krator denies Adam's motion and reminds him that all pleas need to come from his attorney, even though his attorney has no mouth. He's warned to behave so they can show the public that all will receive a fair trial, even though they both know it's a sham. The prosecution then brings forth its first witness. Young Locke is a rebel who is asked to point out Adam as a committer of high crimes. However, Young Locke points out Krator instead, accusing the judge and the entire court of twisting everything good to serve their own evil ends. This brings a brief smile to Adam's face, until Young Locke is executed by the bailiffs. After that, every witness that is brought forward has no problem going along with whatever story the court wants them to. 
pointing out Adam is the guilty party in dozens of false crimes. Adam begins to have enough of this, but he's gagged for his outburst. At the end of the trial, with his defense doing nothing but sleeping, Adam is judged guilty. While this is happening, Pip has wandered into a bar, of course, and meets a green woman. He at first thinks she plans to turn him in for reward, but she has no interest in that. She wants to help Adam defeat the Magus. Or kill Adam if that isn't possible. Whatever works. Now, she doesn't give her name at all in this issue, but we all know her as Gamora. Back at the fair trial, Adam has been judged guilty and sentenced to a church house of correction. He finally has had enough and uses his powers to free himself, destroy the robot bailiffs, and smash up the entire court. Krator changes the sentence to death and causes Adam to sink into the ground. The theory is that the weight of Adam's crimes is pulling him down. However, that does not work and Adam pulls himself up. Krator's hypocrisy has angered him enough that he uses the soul gem to suck out Krator's soul. Having absorbed the judge's soul, Adam has a bit of a crisis of conscience over not just doing that, but now he can see that Krator really did believe in what he was doing. He thought he was actually doing good. Unable to deal with all this, Adam passes out. The matriarch then comes in, has him picked up, and dumped into a pit where the indoctrination can begin. So we do get chapter two, the trial of Adam Warlock, and this is where the guy from the cover comes in, and he's seated on a throne, and there are other crazy-looking characters in the book. So the effect of Krator is much easier to handle in the context of the inner story. But he's a goofy-looking monster, and so whenever he's trying to look menacing on the cover, I just, I don't like it. Yeah. It also, I mean, it also makes him look more goofy, but more natural, that his arms and legs are a lot shorter than they are on the cover. Yes. Yes, that helps. A little design element. Yeah, this is Krator. Because he's an alien, so there has to be some kind of uh, something in his... Hyphen or apostrophe or something yeah. weird. I was trying to think of the word for what those are, but I couldn't remember. But something not a letter. You have something special in the name to make it alien. But yeah, he's in a courtroom of Krator sitting on a throne like a judge, and we have a a lot of like almost like robotic blank face things running around as like bailiffs and jury. And we have a, a mouth with eyes on one side of Warlock and a giant eye on the other side of him. And this is going to be, I mean, they're going to basically put him on trial for crimes against the church. And the sleepy eye that has no way of talking is his defense attorney. Adam Warlock even comments, but he has no mouth. Yeah, and the mouth that's ready to talk is the, is the uh, prosecutor. Prosecutor, right. Oh, I find it funny, though. Even though it's a kangaroo court, basically, look at the crimes. He's all—he's guilty of all of them. He is guilty. Paganism, heresy, witchcraft, consorting with non-productives, and the murder of a loyal black knight of the faith. He, killed, he did kill Autolycus. And he is a warlock, so witchcraft is definitely a thing. So I would assume um, paganism, heresy, and war- witchcraft are part, more or less part of it. And obviously he consorts with non-productives. So it's, it's funny. It's like, as much as it is a kangaroo court, it's like... Well, he technically, uh, he is guilty of all the crimes they said. I said, I didn't know it was against the law. Ignorance of the law is no excuse, citizen. I am the law. So we go through this process of, of kangaroo courting where Warlock is not allowed to speak in his own defense. Yeah. Every time he tries to talk out, Kratos shouts him down. Um, and they're very pr- blatant about it being a kangaroo court. Right. I mean, what does he say about this? He says, the, to your right is our district attorney. He shall supply us with phony charges, lying witnesses, and falsified evidence. Yes. 
Yeah, this is basically a satire of all that's wrong with the justice system. More than a kangaroo court, it's like a satire of what's what can and often does go wrong with our courts. And since this is also, like you said, him looking at like Jesus coming back during the Inquisition, basically, mm-hmm. this fits in modern day, or if you just want to keep it as, this is all about that one time period and that one time and nothing to do with today, well, it fits for that too. Right. Interestingly enough, they, the first witness they bring out to talk about Warlock's guilt points the finger at the judge, saying that he's guilty of twisting everything that was good until it now serves nothing but your own evil ends, adding to the commentary on medieval religious trials. Yeah. And also to the satire on today's court system. Yeah. Um, and, so they kill him. Yeah. And I like, oh, by the way, just to notice, because this doesn't happen often in these issues. That last, the first panel on that last line of panels, the last row of panels, Adam is smiling. Yeah, he doesn't smile often, does he? No, he actually has a smile on his face. And then the guy's killed. Yeah, poor guy. The rest of the uh, testimony, testifiers, behave themselves more. So you know how last episode... I mentioned the reason we're doing this in two parts is because the recording kind of cut off on us. That's where it happened. We were just getting into chapter two when the recording cut off. And so when we came back this time, we kind of skipped that part and we jumped right about a page or so later. So we're going to have a promo here and then we're going to get back to the the recording for this actual chapter. I think that makes sense. Hopefully it'll make sense when I edit this or else I'm re-recording this. In which case, you're not hearing this. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. The Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available at Fire and Water Podcast, Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? It's bad enough I have to put up with your shenanigans every... Okay. Um, as we come into this, I don't really have anything else that I remember wanting to say, um, except for a brief joke about the very end of this court scene. I'm ready to go on to Gamora unless you have more to say about it. Okay. So let's see. Oh, recorder. Hold on. I moved the pages. So yeah. Okay. That's where we are. So yeah, everyone's, um, everyone's learned their lesson basically is just say, nope, nope. He did all these horrible things. Whatever you said he did, uh, he did. It's very cartoony, though, besides the, uh, the what is it, the uh, the lawyers? They say bailiffs gag him, and all, you see, there's, like, already a gag on his face. It's kind of like a Daffy Duck thing, where they just, like, kind of throw it on his face or something. Right. Like, okay, so he's he's objecting, and they're like, no, we've told you to be quiet, so bailiff, and it's just, yeah. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, um, oh, what was it? Beetlejuice. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, where he throws the where, thing on her mouth. Yeah. 
That's ex- if, in fact, you know what? That's exactly what happened. Madball judge up there reared his fist back and threw it at him, and he, you know, suddenly had it. I love how in the bottom, the defense attorney earlier he had no mouth, so he couldn't say anything. Now he has also fallen asleep. Yeah, and snoring. And snoring. But whenever all the thumbs go down, even though the movie was not out yet at this point, all I can hear is guilty. 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 <laughs> and trying you will be today's tr- today's jury will be the Council of Science from Krypton. Right. <laughs> I'm sure these guys have a long and illustrious career ahead of them for the next 20, 30 years. So Adam Warlock is of course found guilty for and like you said earlier, it's not that he's not guilty. He did all the things they're accusing him of. Well, yeah, but apparently there's more things because in the first panel, apparently they've also thrown on a bunch of false charges because that first panel Mm. says um, all these new coach witnesses who point out Warlock as a perpetrator of a dozen false crimes. So I guess guess they felt like those crimes weren't big enough. They had to throw... (laughs) It's like, wait, you have like these the highest crime you could commit. It'd be like having somebody here down for like up for treason and it's like yeah we have him on tape we know he did well we need some more okay this guy says he caught him stealing a pack of gum really right. well, no no well yeah but he's getting he said you saw it right ow yeah yeah i saw him i saw him steal gum i saw him steal gum what kind it was really expensive gum juicy fruit no not no, juicy fruit ah, no no not juicy fruit i'm sorry i'm sorry there's <laughs> a big pack of orbit it was like five bucks five bucks i swear there's no profit margin on this it's like what else do you need um, but then we get the introduction of one of my favorite, like, I don't know, is she B-list or C-list? But she's so, in my brain, just awesome. And that's Gamora, the most dangerous woman in the galaxy or universe or something. Well, she doesn't go by that description of this issue. But Gamora. I love seeing Gamora introduced here. Yes. Well, my, like I said, my introduction to all this was that Warlock, which reprints this, and Infinity Gauntlet, where the three of them come back. So to me, like this is what's needed for Warlock. It's Warlock, Pip, and Gamora. Mm-hmm. Without like everyone else is good. Like I like having around here and there, but that's who needs to be there. <laughs> yeah, that that was probably my uh, feeling the first time I read this too. Because yeah, similarly, Infinity War is where I met Adam Warlock. That was my introduction to the character, and then the um, I started reading Infinity Watch shortly afterward as well. And I mean, it's all about Gamora and Pip. And Drax the Destroyer. And Moon Dragon too. Right. In fact, that like to my, you know, twelve year old, thirteen year old mind, the Guardians of the Galaxy thing has basically been all of the Adam Warlock characters running around with the wrong guy. I know yeah. it's only Gamora, but and- Drax is also Gamora and Drax, there's no Pip. So I can't but that's how it feels. Well, I mean think about it. Rocket's kind of a more violent, intelligent Pip. He is. Yeah. He's like the all he's the Earth 2 Pip. Or Earth 3. <laughs> Earth two, no, forget <laughs> Earth 3 Pip. That would actually is a closer that actually makes more sense. He's the Earth 3 to Earth Pip, Earth 1 Pip. The the villain version? But well, you know what I mean? Like it's so opposite cuz he's so intelligent. Okay. And violent. I mean, Pip's down for a little bit of, you know, busting the head of it needs to be, but he'd rather hide or let someone else deal with it, but you know, he'll conk the guy in the back of the head if that's what needs to be done. But Rocket's all ready to, like, blow everyone up. I dig it. So she um, talks to the troll, 
and she realizes that you know he's the person who's with Adam Warlock. I've come to see if this Warlock really has a chance of defeating the Magus. If he does, I plan to join him. If he doesn't, I plan to kill Adam Warlock. So whatever her mysterious motivations are here, she really wants Warlock's help, or she really wants to kill him, one or the other. Yeah. But then, in tech, from what we've seen, Adam is kind of teetering on that decision as well. So I guess she is on his side. You know, It's like, well, I guess she's on his side, because it's the same plan he had, more or less. <laughs> to to kill himself because he thinks he might be the magus. Yeah, because he was already saying I might have to kill I have to kill part of myself or I might have to kill myself or something like that. He's already dropped. I mean, they've already dropped that hint. Like every issue, they've dropped that hint. Well, it's because he thought he was the um, the splintered alt form of the magus, and then in this issue, he finds out the magus is from the future. Yeah, which probably reinforces the notion mm-hmm. that he might have to kill himself because to stop it from happening. Exactly. And this is it, but for Kamora, she doesn't get as big an introduction as Pip. But she at least gets a, no. you know, she gets the cooler introduction. I'm, I'm either going to join him or kill him. As she, dun, dun, dun. as she steps back into convenient shadows. Right. The convenient shadows of convenience. Did you think she stood on that bar for like 20 minutes with like, you know, a mirror? Or somebody recording her? Saying, okay, let's see what happens if I do this. No, no, that's not <laughs> So we go back to the trial. And Adam Warlock decides to bust out. Yeah, he's had enough of this crap. He's like, okay, I'm done now. Which begs the question why he didn't do anything earlier, because obviously he could have done this at any time. He was just like seeing it through and letting it happen. Yeah, he just want. It says he just wanted to see how firsthand how perverted the Omega's idea of justice could truly be. On the one hand, it could be kind of like what we said last issue about why does Adam use a spaceship? Oh, so Pip can ride with him. <laughs> but you know so it's kind of like oh well why do you do this well so i have something to do do this issue but i i would think this excuse this reasoning makes more sense for the story he wants to see how you know like i said he wants to see how perverted the magus idea of justice could truly be or he maybe he just wants to actually see especially since it's himself like well how bad have i gotten like right. do i need to how much do i need to kill myself just because one dissident comes to me and says things are bad i need to fully investigate before I topple an empire, especially since I might have to be the one dying to do topple the empire. Let's make sure I'm actually against this. Mm-hmm. So ever since falling down into this pit where he seems to have been at their mercy, he has actually just been biding his time and exploring what this place is really like. Yeah, he's just seeing, okay, what happens here? And he beats the crap out of the jury, the, about all the little android guys. Mm-hmm. And here we have the experimentation with color again. Those last two panels. We have like that blue and green and then the purple. Yeah. Which are really great next to each other because they're complementary colors. Yeah. Oh yeah, it looks awesome. Well, that's not true. Orange is complementary to blue, but still. Cool and cool and warm colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that the talking mouth has little legs. Oh yeah. <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> that's adorable. And the, the defense eyeball is there with him on the next page whenever he's like, you know, you enforce laws that grind any who seek freedom under your legal heels. The eyeball's just sitting there. We have no way of knowing the eyeball could be totally complicit in all this. I, I'm going to assume it is. I mean, it could be coerced like the others, but why would, you know, I, I don't know. I have a feeling it's just, I don't know, maybe that's like the junior version of being the, of being the, the prosecutor. Like, in their certain version of, like, the law, degree, law it's like, okay, well, you gotta be the def- defendant first, and once, you know, once you're able to get, you know, 500 convictions, then we can have you be the prosecutor. 
Right. But I just kind of like the idea of the eyeball standing there, and as Adam's saying the speech, and there's a pause at the end, the eyeball is just standing there, and it blinks twice, and you get like that blinking noise that you would have in the old Looney Tunes cartoons. Ding, ding. Exactly. <laughs> that's funny. Like, that's what his comments were. But he uh, he does his little speechifying thing. He does and his then... justice for all speech. You're out of order! And then he is trying to decide, he's wrestling with himself here. Until meeting you, I fear that I might be interfering with those things only the dark forces of chaos and order should meddle with. And the gem starts talking to him as he gives into the notion of sucking in Kratos' soul. The gem's like, do not fight me this time. Release me, it'll be good. So good. And that's weird. Yeah, it starts like chill, talking. It's freaky. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're mad. You're angry. Do it. Do it. Do it. But that panel on the bottom of that page where he's actually doing the suck, the soul sucking. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. I yeah. love that design in Krator. Like the little geometry thing going on there? Yeah, that fractal whatever it is thing. It's one thing there's the fractals, but the way the circling is, it's almost done like the, like, it's almost looked like a cutaway of, like, the interior of the Earth. You know, mm-hmm. here's the core, and then here's the outer core, you know, here's the inner core, and here's the level of the lava and the magma, and here's the crust. And above that where he says, I now realize that your kind are the ultimate in vileness, for you cloak your sins in pious words and holy vestments, judging all but yourselves. And that resonates so strongly with just like, you know, different aspects of human culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like an indictment of the hypocritical faithful. Um, it, yeah. 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 Now, the one problem I have here is not with that, is I'm just trying, is if we're looking at it, trying to figure out, so wait, what actually happened here? I mean, Kratos is judge. But then all of a sudden, Adam magically falls through the floor to, like, a cavern underneath, and, Kra- and Kratos there, and now he has powers, I guess. Because it looks like he's glowing in that first panel. Like, that's the only thing I'm ha- Like, everything else, yeah. But I'm just trying to figure out, like, well, so what actually did happen? I mean, or did he, did, I mean, did Kratos not see how, what Adam could do? Did he think he could just still beat him up himself? It is weird. Yeah, now that the power is vested within me, I hereby decree that you sink within the mire of your own crimes. Be the weight of your own sins which pulls you steadily downward. A pull not even my soul gem seems capable of reversing. Of course not, for it is the power of the church which binds you, the power of a righteous and vengeful God which is about to destroy you. And... I mean, Oh, no, he comes back up out of the floor. Oh, is that what's happening? Yeah, in the first pound, the next page, you can see he's in the floor holding himself up with his hand. Uh, oh, oh, you're right. Okay. In the bottom right, there's actually an explosion as he comes back up out of the floor. Yes. Okay. You are right. You know what? I never, I think it's because of the coloring here, the coloring, the wood and him and everything. I never really saw that. I, I always kind of viewed it like him, like standing on like a pile of rocks or so, like a rock or something. That's one thing about Starlet art. It's not always the easiest to read. Yeah, especially, like, so, you do have to kind of look at it a couple times. Yeah, especially, like, when the coloring, when he's doing the coloring experimentation like this. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you have a red warlock with a red cape on reddish wood. So, it's already a little, like, 
Hmm. Wait a minute. Right. <laughs> okay, you're right. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Ooh, that makes so much more sense now. So yeah, it's just him being angry then. That's it's just a playing with the coloring for Kratos. It's not that he all of a sudden has powers. It's just he's playing with the coloring. Yeah, I mean Kratos sitting there getting more and more excited. I don't think Kratos gets powers. He's I don't he's glowy, crackly with the energy of worshiping the Magus, maybe. I don't know. Whatever it is though, Warlock decides to slurp him up. Slurp. He was hungry. Mm-hmm. Mmm, gummy souls. <laughs> gummy souls. Vitamin enriched. <laughs> oh. And then he realizes what he did. Because he acted, he did the whole thing in anger, and now he's like, oh crap. Yeah. I like where he's going with this too. You know, the point Starlin was trying to make in the page before. And then the point here is, you know, it's like, and yes, these people are doing wrong, but for the majority of them, they think what they're doing is the right thing. This is what they've been indoctrinated to believe is correct. They right. can know and the other way. It's the people in charge who are the ones who are complicit fully. These people are just kind of the gullible sheep who didn't realize that this is a bad thing. It just goes back to the notion that we are all the protagonists of our own stories. Very few people do what they see as the wrong thing to do unless they have some really strong reason to do what they think is the wrong thing to do. It's part of who we are as human beings. Yeah. We, we, we all have a code we live by or, or some sort of idea of what is and is not okay. And to Krator, Magus is God and persecuting this guy was totally the right thing to do. And that doesn't make it okay, like, at all. No. I mean, Christopher Columbus enslaved and murdered and genocided his way across Central America because he thought he was right. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's not that he was doing good still. He was doing wrong, doing evil here. It's just that from the indoctrination, you know, from birth, obviously, Creator thought this was, when you put good, bad, this was the good side. Obviously, I was behaving well. Mm -hmm. I was being a good person. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Nothing bad was done here. It was still, yeah, it wasn't excusing them, but it was just kind of saying this is, it's the people above who know the diff true difference between good and evil and are saying, no, this is the good thing. It's okay. It's cool. Don't worry about it. This is really good. That's what I think Starlin's saying here. Those are the ones who are the true problems, though, because you stop that. Eventually, you stop the people telling everybody what's good and evil and in the wrong way, and eventually it'll go back. it should hopefully go back to being right. But that's like that part he says, by stealing his soul, I proved him right. Yeah, that's hard. It's like, oh, he's like, damn, I screwed up. Yeah, no, what he never smiles. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be a Jesus metaphor. It's hard to be a lizard. Um, <laughs> then the matriarch shows up kind of out of nowhere and takes Warlock away. She was planning on this. She's like, look, I just want to piss you off enough so you could do something like this and knock yourself, you know, basically freak yourself out. And she plans to brainwash him at this point to get him in the same mindset that he realizes everybody else in this world is in. And she's like, I couldn't brainwash you while you were conscious, but she wants the workers in the pit to indoctrinate him. And next issue 
is one of the most infamous issues of this run. Mm -hmm. It is the 1000 clowns issue. And I only hope we can halfway do it justice because there is so much going on in the next issue. Yeah, it is crazy. He's going to get indoctrinated and it's going to be a trippy, um, some, some. Oh yeah. This was a crazy, that's a crazy one, but that's next time. Warlord Worlds. A fan podcast devoted to the comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, Star Slayer, and Shaman's Tears. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. Please join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Special episodes feature interviews with Mike Grell himself. And special segments feature great guests discussing the Legion of Superheroes. Listen at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit warlordworlds.com. Warlord Worlds is part of the Rad Adventures Network at radadventuresnetwork.com. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this issue, please. have got a couple ways to contact us. First of all, send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. On Twitter, talk to us at AdamThanosPod. We'll go to our Facebook page, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box. We're pretty much the first thing that pops up. And of course, you can go to the homepage for the show, the Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. Now, we don't have any emails this time. Again, you know who you are when you keep forgetting to send an email. Don't forget. Also, if anyone wants to leave us a review on iTunes, it's been about a year or two since I got one, and I would really love to be able to read out another one. So, get on that. But we do have feedback on Twitter and Facebook, and I'd like to thank you people. Oh, and Tumblr. We actually have feedback on Tumblr. So I want to thank you all for that. So, first of all, start with Twitter. The post for the ep- for last episode, episode 74, the first half of Strange Tales 180, was retweeted and liked by Rolled Spine Podcasts. Mr. Roger Stunt Double, Chris Crossant PhD, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Stone Kidman, Jason Snick Venable, Eric G. Hollis, Rad Adventures, Siskoid, Kryptonaut Podcast, Well Kept and Unclean, Justin the Buck, John M. with a Comic Reading Problem, Christian and Damon's Amazing Nerd Show, Let's Get Shitty Show Podcast, Coffee and Comics, Stacy Mixon, Tex Captain, I Am Grant Richter, Butch Mappa, ITG Blogcast, Eric Conrad, Ryan Daly, and Cesar S. Dos Santos. Also, that post was actually commented on by Chris Crossant, Ph.D. Chris Brownlee was reading this book when it first came out. He was in second grade at the time. He said it was way over his head when it was new, but right now he's revisiting it and loving it. I asked him, since he was reading it brand new, if he had any thoughts, especially from back then. We'd love to hear them, so hopefully we'll hear from him in the future. Especially if he likes hearing his name said. Now on Facebook, the post about the new episode was liked and shared by Jason Venable, John M. Wilson, Mark Adams, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Martin Gray, Mike Peacock, Michael Lane, Michael Allen Carlisle, and Joe Sedano. And on Tumblr, that post for the new episode was liked by Mightiness and the Angry Hero. And to finish up this feedback, I'd like to thank a few more of the people who follow the page on Tumblr. 
So thank you to Big Stew 62, Sexy Salmon, Silk Maria Curl, I think, <laughs> Magus Warlock, and Road Swim Collective. Finally, don't forget to check out um, my other show on the Pop Culture Palace Presents on the Pop Culture Palace website. The newest episode, which just came out a few days ago, also features John Wilson and Brian Zeno. You know them from this show. As well as Blaine Dowler from the 75 Greatest Marvel Countdown podcast as we discuss Golden Age comics and what actually makes the Golden Age the Golden Age. Link for that will be in the show notes. So we're back to our friends and enemies section of the show. I don't know why I paused there. <laughs> I'm trying to start talk like... Um... William Shatner? No. Oh my god, I, I am so... How can I brain fart this guy's name? Uh, Pulp Fiction. Um, on the boat with Natalie Wood. Quentin Tarantino. On the boat with Natalie Wood when she died. Christopher Walken. I don't know that. Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Oh, okay, so you want to be Christopher Walken, huh? Oh, that was a terrible... I, I apologize. Feel free to kick me off the show. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. If you'll still come back on the show, even though I haven't seen Homecoming, I won't kick you off the show for this. <laughs> hey. Why not? You can hate me still. That's fine. Brian has his own reasons for hating me, so you, don't, you can too. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your permission. But, yes, if for some reason you have never listened to the show before and you decide to jump on with this ish episode, okay, weird, but go ahead. Let's go ahead. So the Friends and Enemies section is where we talk about the other books that had the same cover date as the one we talked about, which is June 1975. And we just talk about the other books that either Adam or Thanos have appeared in before. And first off, we have The Avengers, number 136, Iron Mm. Man, DOA, by Steve Englehart, Tom Sutton, and Mike Plug. Ooh, Mike Plug. Now, this is a reprint issue. Yes, it reprints Amazing Avengers 12, uh, when the Beast first turns uh, blue and furry. Right. Now... I'm pretty sure that the reason they have a reprint is because the comic was running behind. But the reason they have this particular reprint is because the Beast is about to be reintroduced into the Avengers. Yes. So Amazing Adventures is a good run to either follow up on Silver Age X-Men to see what happens to the Beast, but also to prelude Englehart's run on Avengers because that's where the Beast comes in. Uh, or this portion of Eagle Hearts Run. It's not the beginning of Eagle Hearts Run. So, but it is a little bit weird because this is just one issue of that run that shows him fighting Iron Man. Yeah. And it kind of ends a little weirdly. I'm pretty sure he walks off with Mastermind and Unis at the end of this issue. Hmm. It's also funny to look at it because this is the Avengers. And I'm looking here because I'm, I'm on Comic Book DB. And I'm looking at the listing of the characters in it. And we have Angel, Beast, Blob, Cyclops, Iceman, Iron Man, Marvel Girl, Mastermind, Number 9 of the Secret Empire, Professor X, Unis the Untouchable, Marion Rogers, whoever that is. I guess it was a core worker of him at Brand Corporation. Wow, that's the list of people in the Avengers? Interesting. Yeah, they throw um, floating heads of the Vision and Captain America and Thor on the cover. They have nothing to do with this story. Exactly. I haven't really read this run. I'll have to eventually. Oh, Steve Englehart's Avengers run. Oh. No, no, no. We, we meant, talked about this last time. I meant, well, I read parts of it, but I'm talking about the uh, Beast story, the Amazing Adventures. Okay. 
But you're right. Oh, the Amazing Adventures run. Also Stephen Gar. Yes. Yeah. But uh, you're probably right about that being a lead up. Also, like because he, he used stuff from that besides the Beast, because the Beast was looking for the Brand Corporation then, and isn't that where like didn't they have the Serpent Crown? Isn't that what led to like the whole Serpent Crown story that he did in this run? Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you read the Amazing Adventures run all the way through to the end, there are several plot threads left dangling, and they do come back into play in the Avengers, and even in Captain America a little bit, because you have the uh, Secret Empire capturing X-Men in Captain America. So, yeah, (laughs) Inglehart liked his plot threads, and he would just weave them from book to book that he worked on. I do like that about this era. Where, like, that would happen, like, where either writer has writing two or three books and they would have similar plot threads. Or, well, well, the one book ended. Well, I'm writing this other one. Cool. I'm going to put it in here. I do like how they did that back then. But, yeah, just to clarify, I misspeak. I said earlier, this is definitely not the beginning of Inglehart's around the Avengers because they've already done the whole Celestial Madonna saga at this point. It, but this is getting into the Beast and yeah. his time on the Avengers and that whole. And Hellcat and Moondragon joining. Right. Yeah, well, Celestio Madonna just finished, I think, like, the issue before. But this is such a great era for the book. The Avengers is so... And Captain America, because Inglehart was doing both at the time. They're so solid during this time. Sadly, they end so abruptly. And there's a really big build-up to a really big climax, and Inglehart walks. Oh, I hate when that happens. I hate that. We'll talk more about that as we go along, because there's several issues down the road. Okay. But, uh, but yeah. All right, well, next up we have... Daredevil, number 122, Hydra and Seek, by Tony Isabella, Bob Brown, and Vince Coletta. That's a pretty amazing cover there. Who is that in the purple and blue? I can't get a good shot at him. Uh, Blackwing. Oh, that's the name at the bottom. Blackwing. Yeah. Whatever that is. I remember him from Mark Renwald's Captain America in the... I forget exactly when it was. It was somewhere between, like, 380 and... Cap Wolf. <laughs> somewhere between those two. Yeah. It was somewhere around then. That's when I was reading it. And the one, because the one thing I liked about Grimwald's Captain America back then, he did stuff with the villains. Like, he made the villains more, he tried to make these villains more people. And, I mean, not like make you go, oh, I feel bad for Crossbones. No. But he just kind of made them more than just guy in costume for Cap to beat up. Right. And Blackwing was one of the guys he brought in and used. Well- it was one of Marvel's strengths that they didn't always use as as they got bigger and bigger. But it's when Marvel is firing off all, all cylinders, the villains have stories too. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that makes it easy for that is like, especially back in like the Silver Age, when let's say, oh, Flash is fighting Captain Cold. Okay, we'll use Captain Cold again in another year or two, as opposed to the FF Doctor Doom. Well, what happens next issue? Doctor Doom comes back. Oh, wait, what happens issue 10 then? Well, Doctor Doom's back. You know, you use them, I mean, you use them enough, you're going to have to do something more than just have him do the evil thing he did the first issue because we're bringing him back so many times. Now, of course, you could also say, well, maybe they were being a little bit more creative at DC character development creation-wise, where like every issue it's like, okay, find a new bad guy for the Flash to fight. Yeah. But on the other hand... I, I, get- I think they're trying to be different to stand out from DC and in using human foibles and using fallibility as a hook and bringing that into your villains too you make them like and of course fantastic for annual two is such a good early example of that because that really gave dr doom a background and a culture and a kingdom and um but but spider-man's villains too i mean spider-man's villains 
they're good whenever they're acting out of actual motivations besides, oh, I must get Spider-Man. Yeah. I want my revenge again. It's like, yawn. That's why, like, Dr. Octopus, honestly, I enjoyed the, the visual, but I never really cared about Dr. Octopus until the movie. Mm-hmm. And then, like, with Superior and stuff, at least they made, you know, made him more interesting. But before that, he just felt like the, I'm evil because I'm evil to fight Spider-Man and I hate him. I'm like, oh, okay, that's nice. <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, where's somebody who's more interesting? You know, where's the spot? He's at least more interesting. Maybe not a better power, but he's more interesting. <laughs> Is Fantastic Four next? Yep, hold on. I just, I, okay. Oh, there we go. Screen was being black for a second. Fantastic Four, number 159, Havoc in the Hidden Land, by Roy Thomas, Rich Buckler, and Joe Sinnott. I need to read more Bronze Age Fantastic Four, mainly because I really like the Inhumans, and I know that that's become, like, the out-of-vogue opinion to have, because they're being... It seems that when things get used so much, people tend to, I guess, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. But I still really like the Inhumans, and for so long, they were just... Fantastic Four recurring uh, characters. Yeah. Oh, and this is the one where the Human Torch gets rid of his red costume, and uh, Medusa quits, and Invisible, and well, at the time, Invisible Girl rejoins. Okay. But more importantly, the Fantastic Four and humans and Quicksilver team up to defeat Zemu and his goons from the Fifth Dimension. And if this is the Zemu of the Titan I'm thinking of... Is it X-E-M-N-U? No, it's X-E-M-U. He's a villain from Strange Tales 103. From the, you know, the Human Torch stories. Oh. Not what I thought. I thought we were talking, like, the big white teddy bear looking guy. Yeah. With with no mouth and a little metal dunce cap on his head. I was so excited for that. Now I'm depressed. (laughs) Oh, this is the strange tale story where he goes to another dimension and saves them from the Conqueror. Okay. Well, it had to be something. Yeah. Um, I, forget, I didn't get a chance to look up what Fantastic Cast episode this was, but it'll be in the show notes. Go click on it and listen to it. They'll be better at this than we are. Okay. Incredible Hulk number 188, Mind Over Mayhem by Lynn Ween, Herb Trimp, and Joe Staten. I also want to read like the whole Lynn Ween Hulk run. I yeah. need to have in my head. Yeah, I read a lot of it. It's good. And oh, we have the gremlin. I like the gremlin. I like the little deformed pink guy. Son of Gargoyle or something like that? I, I think so. I forget. Although it's not the greatest of covers. It's, it's visually striking, but it is kind of weird. They're trying. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good effort, Herb. Yeah. yeah. I've seen him do better, though. All right. Iron Man number 75. Slave to the Power Imperious by Mike Friedrich, Arvel Jones, and Chick Stone. See, every time we go through this, (laughs) I feel like, man, all this Bronze Age Marvel that I don't have. I I was tweeting about this recently. There's always so much more Marvel Universe that I want to read that I haven't read yet. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I responded yeah. to that. I was like, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, I need to read more Fantastic Four. Oh, I need to read more Hulk. Oh, Iron Man. I need to read more Iron Man. I think of the three of those I just named, though, Bronze Age Iron Man is probably the weakest. I would, th- yeah, of the three you mentioned, definitely. Although I think of the ones we've talked about, probably Daredevil. 
Yeah, Bronze Age Iron Man and Bronze Age Daredevil were both on the verge of cancellation. They both went bi-monthly. Yeah, because we barely even said anything about Daredevil. We talked about other stuff. <laughs> we didn't even mention Daredevil at all. We talked about Blackwing. But I do want I do I do want to know their stories. Uh, yeah, I and some of the earlier stuff of Daredevil. I want to read I want to read the full Daredevil Black Widow. Mm-hmm. But this Iron Man thing, so he's fighting for the Golden Globes. I mean, that really was. I thought they voted on that, but I guess it was a lot harder to get a Golden Globe back in the seventies. Who says the battle for the Golden Globe goes on? But in the eyes, of, but at the end, only the Black Llama shall triumph. The Black Llama, really? Wow. Well, the best thing is, have you ever listened to the show Oh Hot Moo or Not? I haven't. Please forgive me, Shag. Yeah. Well, he's not on it. This is network. It's Rob Kelly, right? Yeah. yeah well, well, yeah. Him and Rob Kelly. Yeah. It's, their, it's on the Fire and Water Network, but it's, it's Ciscoid. It's him and okay. a bunch of women, women he knows, and basically they, you know, they're geeky thing. They're into geeky stuff, but they don't really know comics that well. So he goes through like a couple pages of the Ohatmu, you know, official handbook of the Marvel Universe, each episode, and they basically kind of critique. They, they look at these characters like, "What the hell is this?" Right. And have fun with it. And I remember at one point they were talking about somebody met a llama, and they're like, "A llama." He's like, you know, like, like, no, we know what a llama is, but we think it's funnier if it's actually like a llama, like in, you know, the Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> and now I see this now because I just listened to that the other day. Now that's in my head. It's like I want the black llama's mask to come off, and like all of a sudden this giant neck pops up. It's a llama. Nice. Okay, so enough of that. Um, Marvel premiere number twenty-two, "Death Is a Ninja," by Tony Isabella, Arvel Jones, and Aubrey Bradford. Now, this is whenever Marvel Premiere was the Iron Fist book. Yes, I think it was still Iron Fist from, like, 20... I think he had, like, 10 issues from, like, 15 to, like, 25. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Somewhere in this run is whenever... Oh, no, 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 it's it's the run that follows up on this. I was going to say, somewhere in this run is when Sabretooth, Sabretooth gets introduced. That is actually whenever Iron Fist becomes Iron Fist. Yeah, now, I do have to read this. I'm curious now, because I'm looking at the cover. And it says on the cover, they have a little yellow circle. Which was mm-hmm. like the eye with the eye things that look like Iron Fist eye, which is pretty cool. But it says inside the face, the face beneath the mask. So does that mean like from Iron Fist, like Marvel Premier, like fifteen to twenty one, we never saw his face? You're asking the wrong person. I don't think I've ever read an Iron Fist solo story that didn't tie into some other character I was reading. I've only ever read Iron Fist because of somebody else. I mean, I read Iron. I read some issues of Iron Fist, like the ongoing, but that's left after this, and that's Claremont and Byrne doing it. Right. So I, I'm, I have to look for that eventually. I'll read this eventually. I'm just curious. I'm like, did they not show his face for like five or six issues? I mean, it seems like a pretty cool hook to have a, a, a white ninja character, especially in the '70s. Never, you know, white dudes doing martial arts was the new cool. Um, Everyone doing martial arts was new cool. I mean, we also had, you know, that's when Shang-Chi came out. And we had, what, the Sons of the Tiger and the Daughters of the Dragon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Lots of people. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Literally. Everybody was kung fu They fought with 
actually, if you put that group together, just that group of the Marvel Kung Fu characters, you pretty much have almost everything. Like, you have, like, almost okay. one of every nationality. Because you got Shang-Chi, and then the Daughters of the Dragon, so what? Misty is, Misty's black, and Colleen's, like, you know, mixed, Asian, you know, Japanese and Amer- uh, white. Colleen is Chinese-American. Chinese, oh, she's Chinese. Um, that's right. No, she was raised in Japan, but she had the Chinese father heritage. That's it. But there's, there's Colleen has that. And then, with, like, the Sons of the Dragon, you had, like, three or four guys. And I know, like, one guy was also black, and one was Hispanic. And I think you had one or two others. Plus the White Tiger is a group there, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, Sons of the Tiger, they're not Sons of the Dragon, right? Yeah, Sons of the Tiger, Daughters of the Dragon. Right. So, like, between all of them, you actually have a very nice mix of people there, actually. Is Marvel team up on our, t- on our list yet? Because I know that Thanos appears in there. Not mm-hmm. yet. Or Warlock appears in there later. Yeah. yeah, but we haven't. Yeah, but we haven't got to that. That's the, that'll be the first time. So we haven't got to that yet. Okay. We, we got one left. Which one is? Oh, Thor. Thor number two thirty six. One life to give. By Jerry Conway, John Basima, and Joe Sinnott. The Absorbing Man. Um, I've again I, we talked about this on that side. I've read this run, and I did really enjoy the Jerry Conway run of Thor, but. I was mainlining it so quickly that the individual issues don't stand out to me at all. Mm, yeah, I'll get to it eventually. But I like the Absorbing Man. Mm-hmm. Or at least maybe I like what he turned into probably around this time or later where he became more – he had more of a personality. He was more fun. I really liked his appearance in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. I liked him in – when they did Eric Masterson take over his store, they, from what I remember, they kind of had him do – what Titana did more or less with the new with uh, Jane Foster when she first became Thor, I think it was kind of like a mirror. He was like, "Look, I'm going to take it easy on you, kid. It's your first day. Don't worry about it. It's cool." <laughs> like I like them as villains, the two of them together. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is radio on demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from twenty thousand others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook an iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Everyone! They're here already! You're next! November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kuns, the Tanagarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, All right. Well, that's the end of the episode. Uh, John, we'll be back soon as we do, uh, well, the clowns. The 1,000 clowns. But if you're scared of clowns, don't worry. There'll be no visual clowns and no jump scares in the episode. I wonder how I can make clowns jump out of iPods. I gotta look this up. <laughs> All right. Well, until then, if you're scared of clowns, enjoy the nightmares I just gave you. Right, and you'll get more. Watch Stephen King's it. Yeah, and you'll get more. You'll get more nightmares next time. Don't worry. Bye. Bye.
Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Right, restock some coffee. Yay, coffee. Yes, yay, coffee. Coffee makes me up. Uh, all right. Well, I'm glad I finally saw Star Wars. I was really hoping I wouldn't miss it. I'm glad you finally saw Star Wars, too, because that was uh, a big flaw on your part. Because, unfortunately, I missed Justice League, so I'm going to wait till it comes out and watch it. Oh. I just didn't get a chance to get to the movies for, like, two months, so, like, first thing was, like, okay, I got to see Thor before that goes away, and then it was going to be Justice League and then Star Wars. But Justice League went away like around like a week after Thor did. Yeah. Because I saw Thor, I was checking on the online things, like online, you know, by me, like what movies were playing. And like I saw Thor the last night it was playing anywhere near me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like a week later or so, I was off one to see Justice or two weeks because that was right before Christmas. I was like, oh, I'm going to see Justice League. Nope, never mind. <laughs> you thought you were. Hey, I still need to see Logan. Dude, where is your life? I know, I get busy with these things. Um, and Homecoming. And Yeah, we're about to rewatch Spider-Man Homecoming. And, That's how far behind you are. And uh, Days... Uh, no, no, I saw Days of Future Past. Apocalypse. Well, okay. So, um, <laughs> A little less there. <laughs> no, I liked Apocalypse. I, I never understand all the hate for the X-Men movies. Um... But I think we're just going to have to stop being friends until you can see these movies. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, Everybody was